Good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to be here uh, again. Uh, I grew up in this area. I went to Lee High School, uh, graduated in 2000, uh, went to Virginia Tech, studied engineering. Uh, and it was during my time at Virginia Tech that God stirred in my heart uh, and also in my parents' hearts, uh, Pete and Vicki Becker, who've been attending this church since I was a baby. Uh, stirred in their, God stirred in their hearts as well. And uh, God led me to go to an orphanage in South Korea, uh, in the city of Seoul, and to live uh, in the orphanage with the kids. And I lived there for three years, moved out in 2005, lived with them for three years, uh, and then moved, got my own apartment. A few years later, uh, married my wife, Skye, and we've been continuing to serve the kids in Korea. I still go to that orphanage during the week, and I teach English and basketball and just live life with the kids. And uh, I also direct a couple of ministries. And so before I get into the sermon going into the Warrior series, uh, I would just want to briefly introduce uh, some of the ministries that Sky and I do uh, out in Korea. And the first is Jerusalem Ministry. Uh, it's an NGO registered with the South Korean government uh, that I started in 2006 to serve the orphans living in the orphanages. Uh, there's about 23 orphanages in Seoul, babies to high school seniors, boys, girls, uh, many different homes, and we set up this ministry to plug in tutors, to hold camps for the kids, and to do Christmas Secret Angel, to do just different ministries for the kids living in the homes. This is Jerusalem Ministry, and uh, I'm going to show you guys a video of our last annual soccer camp. These camps started in 2008 uh, and have been going ever since, so this year will be our 11th camp. And uh, while the video is being shown, I'm just going to share a little, little bit about the kids uh, and about the camp. So we can go ahead and cue that up. So last year it was 40 boys, third to sixth grade boys from different orphanages gathered at the army base in the middle of Seoul. Uh, we set it up there and uh, for these kids, they come nervous, insecure, fearful, uh, scared that the other older kids will bully them, uh, scared that they'll get made fun of. Uh, just nervous as kids are when they go to camps, uh, but we get volunteers one-to-one uh, -one ratio just about so we have soccer coaches and people that know how to teach soccer and then a whole lot of soccer moms um, That's some of the volunteers there who just cheer on the kids until they lose their voice and uh, For these kids you see them coming in Every day the smiles increase and they're running now to greet us because they know they're safe and they know that every volunteer there is trained, every volunteer there is going to love them, going to encourage them, uh, is going to cheer for them. And the kids, they get new shoes. Usually you get hand-me-downs living in the orphanage or you get knockoffs. Uh, they get new Nike cleats. Uh, and then they also get new uniforms. Uh, once again, they usually get hand-me-downs. So when they put on these uniforms, they just, they look, they look amazing. And uh, you just see the smiles and the joy increase with, uh, honestly, with every hour. Uh, of this camp. We teach them teamwork, uh, drills to build up their confidence. Uh, we just really encourage them. Um, and one of the most important times is sharing compliments. Uh, for these kids growing up in an orphanage, they have one social worker for usually 8 to 12 kids. And that means there's only one person trying to manage all these different orphans. And they look cute in these videos, but they're actually really difficult. And uh, so they, they don't get many compliments. And, um, you know, but for the volunteers here, we make sure that every volunteer is paired with at least one kid. So they're watching them like an eagle eye and making sure that these kids get complimented, that they are loved on. 
and they learn that language uh, during the camp. They start to learn the language of compliments, learn the language of encouragement. They learn to say thank you. That's not something they're taught at the children's home. Um, and so we, we build them up. It's not just about teaching soccer. It's about teaching them love, um, teaching them how to not just be loved, but to love one another. And uh, you see that in the camp. And you see kids connecting with kids that are older than them, kids from other homes, kids they'd usually be fearful of. Uh, they really start to come together. And so this is a highlight for my staff, uh, just seeing them respond so much within just three days. It's a very brief camp. It's just three days, uh, nine to four each day. Um, but they transform. You really see joy, response. The kids are safe. They know that they're loved uh, at these camps. And uh, we end with a victory dinner. And uh, they get to eat tacos, which they have no idea what they are. Uh, so it's, it's fun to, to watch them enjoy food, you know, Mexican food for the first time. You can go ahead and, uh, and dim it. So that's, that's one of the things I'm the most um, proud of, the, one of the things that I look forward to the most, because we get to get the kids out of the orphanage where it's kind of like their, their place of, uh, sadly, the orphanages just aren't super healthy. The, the social workers do their best, but it's just a bunch of broken kids, kids that were abused, abandoned, um, you know, different things. And so it's, it's not the best atmosphere. But to get them out and to set the atmosphere with all the volunteers it's beautiful to see what God can do in the kids in just three days, how much they can change uh, through love. So our next camp will be uh, at the end of July, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Another ministry that I uh, founded and direct is called Oak Tree Project, and this is a scholarship and mentoring program for orphans who graduate high school and leave the homes. The way it works in Korea is once you graduate from high school, you're deemed an adult and you're on your own. And uh, so for these kids, they get a small stipend from the government, and they have to leave the home. Uh, and so they go from living in a home where they're fed, they're clothed, they're looked after, to suddenly living completely on their own, and they have to get jobs to pay for their living expenses. But for kids that get into college, they now not only have to pay for their living expenses, they also have to pay for their tuition. And so often they have to get jobs to work 8, 10, 12 hours a day uh, in order to just survive. And usually when you're working like that, you're unable to study. And so many drop out, fall into debt. It's a very dangerous situation. So we set up Oak Tree Project to provide these kids with scholarship money to help them get through college so they don't have to work those part-time jobs. And we also provide them with a mentor, someone who will call them once a week, meet with them once a month, give them a good meal, and be family to them. And these mentors are committed until the student graduates to call them once a week, meet with them once a month. And for the kids that have graduated so far, many of the mentors, they continue to be in contact. And for these kids, they treasure Oak Tree Project initially for the money because they see how hard it is for those that, that don't get you know, this type of scholarship, what life they live. And so they treasure the money, but they view the mentors as an obligation. Oh, I got to take the phone call. I got to meet with this person. But after a year, two years, after some time, they begin to realize that this relationship this person genuinely loves me, is praying for me, is speaking wisdom because they care for me. They're not trying to manipulate me. And this is really what family is meant to be. And they begin to treasure that mentor more than they treasure the money. And uh, that's because love is far more important than, than anything of this world. And uh, that's the goal of Oak Tree Project is that these kids will experience God's love 
And uh, for some of these graduates, uh, I would love to go on and share so many stories about how God has changed them. Kids that I've known since they were in second grade, uh, watching them go through this program now as college students. And some have even graduated uh, and are doing well. Um, I've had friends meet with them and say, I would have never guessed that that woman, that young lady grew up in an orphanage. Because now that young lady is walking with God, is confident, uh, is strong, and and is healthy. Uh, And that's what we want to see. For all these students, that they will be loved on, that they'll rise up as mighty oaks. So that's Oak Tree Project. If you have any interest in the ministry work, that's a picture, uh, sorry, of all the students from last year. We now have 25 students uh, on the program, each with their own mentor, uh, along with our staff. That was from an outing last year. Uh, If you have any interest in uh, Oak Tree Project, Jerusalem Ministry, or just what God is doing in Korea, uh, I want to ask that as you exit out of those doors, on the left in the foyer uh, are some sign-up sheets. You write down your name and your email address, and I send out an update usually about once a month with stories from the children's home or just stories from life along with a few prayer requests. And uh, I would be really blessed uh, to have you join me uh, and my wife Sky in this journey of loving the kids in Korea. Okay, uh, now that I've shared my introduction, uh, I now want to begin my sermon, and uh, this goes into the series that has been preached here in the past, I believe, three or four Sundays, uh, the Warrior Series, uh, a series that's meant to, you know, build us up, make us strong, help us really rise up the warriors that God has called us to be. But uh, ironically, I'm going to preach about when we do not feel strong. And when these types of sermons are actually not really what we want to hear, uh, I'm going to preach about the hesitant warrior today. The the title of the sermon is The Hesitant Warrior. And uh, I want to address why at times we can feel very hesitant with God, whether we know God or not, why we can be hesitant, and why we can also be hesitant in loving and in being a good father, a good mother, Uh, a good worker, uh, just being a a good Christian. Uh, Today I want to share about hesitancy, how it affects us. And uh, I'm going to begin by sharing about uh, a man in the Bible who really is one of the greatest examples of hesitancy. And this is a man called Gideon. And uh, Gideon comes in a point in the Bible where Moses, you guys know, he takes them out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea, they go through the wilderness, and now they come to the promised land. And Moses dies, but that nation of Israel, they go into the promised land and they get a judge, a leader. The first one is Joshua. Joshua dies, and then they get another judge, and then another. But amidst this time, the nation of Israel stops worshiping God. They start going after their own interests. And they start finding idols and and different temptations all around them. And they no longer remember God. They no longer worship him. They've fallen away. And so what happens is, because they're no longer acknowledging God, because God is no longer worshipped in this area, God kind of lifts his protection, and a foreign nation called Midian comes in, and they just rout the promised land. They come in, they begin to enslave the Israelites, they oppress them, they take their harvests, you know, they, they take all their stuff, uh, they just, they wreck Israel. And uh, Israel's in such a tough place that they start to cry out for help. And they realize those idols, those earthly successes, those different things that they were pursuing are of no help against this strong, oppressive enemy. And so finally they turn to God. And they say, God, we need you. 
Uh, we recognize we've sinned. God, we, we pray that you come and you deliver us. And so God responds to their prayer. God responds by going to meet Gideon. And uh, Gideon is just this one man, this scared man, hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Now, when you thresh wheat, you're supposed to do it outside so that the, the parts of it that you don't need just fly away with the wind. But he's so scared of the Midianites. He's such a fearful man that he's hiding in this enclosed little wine press, and he's threshing wheat there, and God appears. And I'm going to start in Judges 6, verse 10 through 17. You can follow along on the screen. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, that's his tribe, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now, in the Bible, later in the Bible, there's this chapter called Hebrews 11, where it lists the great men of faith, like Abraham and Moses, and David. And there's not many people that are listed, but guess who's in this list? Gideon. This same fearful man that continues to be hesitant and continues to question. And I just ended that section with him asking God for a sign. And the chapter is a bit long, but God ends up showing him a mighty sign. Fire comes down and in front of him, and, and Gideon's like, I, I believe. But you know what happens in the next chapter? He, he doesn't believe. And he says, God, I, I need another sign. And so God gives him another sign. And then, he's, and then he says, God, I, I know I've asked a lot, but I need another sign. And God gives him another sign. And then in the next chapter, later on, you see that God sends him yet another sign. And for us, we would look at that and be like, Gideon, you faithless coward. You know, you weak, weak man. But what, what Gideon was doing was something that God loved. He was engaging with God. He wasn't just running. He wasn't just saying, oh, I can't do it. He was saying, God, I, in my current situation, I can't do this. So God, show me that I can. Show me that this is really you. He began to dialogue with God. So he was initially a hesitant warrior. And Gideon had two reasons for being hesitant. The first and this is on your outline. The first was his lack of faith in God being good. And the second was his lack of faith in himself being worthy. Gideon had two reasons for being hesitant. Lack of faith that God is good. And lack of faith that he was worthy. And this is often true for all of us. When we're hesitant before God or hesitant to do what's right. It's hesitance that God is really good. Is he really there? Is this really him? Hesitance, can I really do this? Am I really worthy to do this? Let's start with, is God really good? And I'm going to go back to Judges 6.13. And I love the way that Gideon addresses God. God's like, go. And he says, 
pardon me. It's like the ultimate words of hesitancy. Like, um, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is really good, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see, before any of us can be warriors, before any of us can even be Christians, even be a believer, you got to know that God is good. You don't follow someone that you don't believe in. You will be hesitant. Think about a soldier that is about to go into battle. If you watch almost any war movie, you know, where the officer is a, a righteous man, is a, is a good man, is a, is a brave leader, you will see the soldiers will say to the officer, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you want me to do, even if it means death. Because they found someone that they believe is good and that they can trust. But when you're a leader, your officer is a coward, has deserted the men before, has done bad things. Then guess what? When that leader says, let's go, what do you feel? Hesitancy. I I don't think so. I I don't think I'm going to run with you. This is the same with your boss, your company. If you are working for a company that you believe in and you're working for a boss who you believe in, then when that boss asks you to make sacrifices, I need you to do some overtime. I need you to take on these projects, even though they're really hard. You're willing because you believe in the mission. You believe in that man. But if you don't believe in the boss, you don't believe in the company, when the going gets tough, you're out of there. It's the same for coach in sports. The coach is telling you to do these drills. The coach is making up the play. If you believe in that coach, you'll do it. You'll do it with confidence. But if your coach isn't that good, you're going to be thinking, I think I know a better way. You're going to be hesitant. This is the same with faith. If you desire to be a warrior for God, if you just desire to be a Christian, you've got to know that God is good. And that comes from asking, like Gideon. Asking and asking and asking. And God loves it when we ask. You see, when I went to Virginia Tech after I graduated high school, I grew up as a Christian in this church. But if you had told me, hey, God's going to tell you to be a missionary, I would say, well, I'm not going to follow. I'm not doing it. All right? Because at that time, I didn't really know that God was that good. I believed in God, you know, I said, yeah, I'll follow God. But when the tough really gets going, when God starts to ask for those sacrifices, I think I'm good. I think I'm good where I am. But what happened when I was at Virginia Tech was I began to pray and seek God more. And there were some verses that would just stand out to me. And it's like, well, if this Bible is really true, then I'm going to pray this and I want to see this come true in my life. And I'll put up one of these verses. It says, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Okay, God, are you really good? I want to taste it. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see that you're good. Now, that might sound like doubt, but without doubt, there's no room for faith. Does this make sense? You have to have faith when there's some doubt. Okay, so it's okay to ask. God, show me a sign. God, I pray that you reveal yourself to me. The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Taste and see the Lord is good. Okay, God, I want to taste and see. Another verse, it says, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Your love is better than life, God. Well, I have these temptations. I have these sin addictions. I have these struggles. I have these shames. I have these different things. And 
And honestly, I can't get over them. But if your love is truly better than life, if your love is truly that good, then I know that once I begin to taste and see your good, if I really know this love is better, these strongholds, these things that have been pulling me down, suddenly going to have no power. Because I know something that's so much better. Something that's so much sweeter. And so I began to pray and I began to ask, God, show yourself to me. God, I want to taste and see that you're good. God, I want to know a love that is better than life. And by the time I graduated from college, I was ready to go wherever God wanted me to go. I was ready to do whatever God wanted me to do because I wanted to be with him. Being with God and being in his will was far greater than anything this world could ever offer. And I want to, what I tell uh, to friends who, you know, don't know the Lord or friends that you know, are, are really struggling and, and, and believing, if they show any interest in God, this is what I tell them. I say, okay, I want you to ask for God to reveal himself to you. Ask for God to show up in your life. Just ask. And when something happens that seems kind of like a God moment or, you know, just like that was really interesting what just happened, chalk it up to coincidence. Be a skeptic, okay? Just, but write it down. This happened. Okay, but just move on and continue to ask, God, are you really good? God, are you really there? And when the next coincidence happens, you write that one down too, and then you just keep moving on with your life. But keep asking, God, are you really good? Are you really there? And I'm telling you, as you do this, God will begin to show up like he did with Gideon. As Gideon asked for sign after sign after sign, God will begin to do it. Maybe not on your timeline, Okay, maybe not according to exactly when you want it, but he will begin to reveal himself to you to the point where you will have so many coincidences that you will need more faith to believe that these were all chance than to believe that God is really there. That's how faith grows. That's how faith grows. You see, when the first plague happened with Moses, there was, there was okay, that was interesting. Second plague, okay. Third plague, fourth plague, faith is starting to grow. Our God is, God is real. He's miraculous. He cares about us. This is what God wants to reveal to you. He wants to reveal to you. He wants you to have a revelation that's revealing of him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that he could reveal his love in the flesh and he still wants to reveal his goodness and his love to you now. So when we're hesitant when we're struggling, when we feel distant from the Lord, and it's not just right when you're starting to believe, it's also later in faith, where you'll go through seasons where, man, God is so good, I will lift my hands in worship, he's great, I know he's good, and then tragedy happens, bad things happen, family, work, personal, health, whatever, and boom, you're now in a place where Jesus is my savior, but I don't know if he's really good. And I, I can't lift my hands. And I, I, I don't know if I can follow anymore. And that's okay. Okay, we're human. We now just get, we just got to ask, God, show me yourself. You already sent your son before I even asked. That shows you want to show yourself to me and you love me. God, show me your goodness again. I want to taste and see again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That was a prayer of a broken man. And that needs to be our prayer anytime we are hesitant, anytime we feel distant, anytime we don't even know the Lord. God, show yourself to me and wait. Continue to ask and wait. God will show himself to you. He will not let you down.
And so if that step is covered, and that's the first and most important step, is knowing that God is good, knowing that he is there and that you can trust him and that you can follow him anywhere he goes, that you're better off with him than anything else. Once you know that, now the devil realizes he can't block you from seeing God, but instead now he wants to turn your vision to yourself. God is good, but I, I, got, I got too much baggage. I got too much stuff in my past. I got too much stuff going on right now. Look at me, my scars, my sin, my fears, my shame. Other people can be used for God. That's other people's calling. I didn't have a good family. I didn't, I didn't have a, a, a good past. I, I don't have any finances. I didn't get a good education. I, I, I can't do it. Okay, and this was the same thing that Gideon was saying when God showed up. Look at Judges 6, 15. This is the second thing. Another pardon me. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm the lowest in my family, okay? I'm, I'm the most worthless one. I'm, I just, everyone else has done at least something. I've done nothing. And my family's the weakest in, in my tribe. I'm a nobody. I'm a reject. I'm a failure. I'm pathetic. But how did God initially greet him? Before Gideon had done anything with his life. Going back to verse 12, this is God's first words. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, in the physical, if I'd seen Gideon, I would have said, man, you're a fearful coward. Okay, let's just be honest. But God sees him, and he says, you're a mighty warrior. God is the alpha and the omega. What that means is he is the beginning And he is the end. Time is within him. Our God is an infinite God. He knows all things. He formed us in our mother's womb. And all the days ordained for us were written in a book before they came to be. He knows us through and through. He made us not in the image of something else. He made us in the image of him, in the image of God. So while we look in the physical like our parents to a degree, the truth is we were made in the image of an almighty God. We are special We are set apart, and there is a unique identity to each and every one of us. But the world, as we grow up, tries to put on earthly identity and tries to smear us. This is who you are. You fit into this box. You're the smart one, but you're not not attractive, okay? You're you're not smart enough. You're this, and tries to label us with with our, our blemishes and tries to label us with our sin. And so we feel pathetic. And uh, honestly, I have some bad news for all of you, even those of you that feel good. We are all a bunch of failures. I don't care what, how good your family is, how much money you've accumulated, all that you've done. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. We're all sinners. We have a sinful nature. But I have some good news for you as well. God loves failures. Bad news, we're failures. Good news, those are the people that God likes. Those are the people that God sent Jesus to die for. God came to save the lost, 
the hurting, and the weak. When Jesus came to earth, who did those, who are those that he went after? Oh, I gotta go after the smartest, those that have a good family background that are the most stable. You know, I, I gotta go after those that know my word the most. No. He went after a bunch of uneducated fishermen. He went after a zealot, which was some guy angry at the government. He went after a tax collector, which was the most hated people. He went after the prostitute. He went after the, the sinful women, those caught in adultery. He went after the lepers, the rejects, the pathetic. Those were the people that he loved so much. Because they were the definition of one of my favorite verses. It's Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means I'm weak. I need a savior. I, I don't add up. I'm poor in spirit. I need you, God. You see, God loves the broken, the orphan, the widow. Okay, God loves the foreigner, the rejected, the oppressed. God loves the broken because they know they're broken. And they know they need a savior. Before the Pharisees, for the rich, for those that would puss, you know, puff out their, their chests and be like, I got it all together. I know what I'm doing. They, they weren't interested in Jesus at all. They had their worldly kingdom, their worldly identity, and they were happy with it. They were not poor in spirit. But for the broken, for those that knew they were a failure, and even for some Pharisees and rich people that knew they were a failure and also admitted that to Jesus, these were the people that Jesus said, these are my people. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I love you, and I'm dying on the cross for you. And as you just acknowledge that you need me, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit. I will set you apart, and I will give you an identity that you've never known in your life. You've never had before. You see, when we acknowledge our brokenness before God, then he is able to transform us. When we acknowledge our brokenness before God, then he is able to transform us. This is step two in terms of faith. First, you got to know that God is good. You just, you got you to start to see that God is real. And as you start to know that, that God is real, now you're safe. Now you can come to him with your hurts and know he's not going to reject me. He's not going to judge me. He's going to accept me. I'm safe here, like those kids at the, at the soccer camp. Once they start to know the volunteers are good, the volunteers love them and care for them, the kids could be vulnerable. The kids could, could be silly. They could be themselves because they knew they were safe and they could begin to be transformed. This is what God wants to do in your life. You see, Gideon came from a weak family. So don't let family be your excuse. Oh, my family's because of this. I'm weak. I'm physically weak. I don't have the education. I got these addictions. I got these different struggles. I got this different stuff. Perfect. You're just the one that God desires. You're just that broken jar of clay that God wants to fill with his spirit and set apart and change and deliver nations. You see, Gideon, as he began to know that God is good, that God is with him, as he began to know that he really is a mighty warrior, that he is defined by God and not by this world, he was soon able to take just 300 men and destroy that huge army of Midianites. One of the greatest battles in the Bible. His faith was in God and his identity was in God. 
he knew he was worthy, not because of what his dad said, not because of what people around him said, but because of what God said to him. Colossians 1.27 reads, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not your degree. It's not your, your family background. It's not your, your sins. It's not your flesh. It's not any of that stuff. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you. And so when we have hesitancy, when we're not sure, like, I, I can't really do this. I, I'm not able. I'm too weak. I have these different things. We got to ask God, God, how do you really see me? Because you know what God said to Jesus when Jesus was baptized? This was before Jesus done anything in his life other than get lost as a kid. That's the only story we read about Jesus up to the point of his baptism. You know what God the Father said to Jesus when he was baptized? This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. This is my son whom I'm proud of. He didn't wait to say this when Jesus was on the cross. He didn't wait and say, Jesus, you got to earn it. you got to show me what you're made of, and then maybe I'll call you a warrior. Show me what you're made of, and then maybe I'll say that you're good enough. No. Alpha and Omega, beginning to end, made in the image of God. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That's what he speaks over each and every one of you. In the areas that you feel the most pathetic in, that's what the devil wants you to believe. But those are often the same areas where God is calling you for salvation, for redemption. This is what God's going to use to reveal his light in the most powerful way. You're the exact opposite of what the world is trying to tell you. Through him, we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We are able. And so we need to pray. That first prayer is, God, show me that you're real. Just show me that you're real. Show me that you're good. Show yourself to me. Just ask that. That's it. You don't need to pray for 20 minutes or, or do all this different stuff. Just ask. And just ask and write down those coincidences as they come. And let faith start to spring up. And as faith starts to spring up, as you start to say, God, you're good, then when hesitancy comes, you got to say, God, now I want to know my true identity. Because according to this world, I'm pathetic. If someone were to walk in on me, admits my own sin and my shame, I would feel so embarrassed. But you've seen me through everything. You know me through and through. How do you see me? How How do you define me? And he'll begin to speak to you. And he'll speak to you through people you can trust. You see, I trust my dad. And so if my dad speaks an identity over me, I'm going to receive that. Because I know it's coming from a place of love. But if, you know, my old boss or, or an old coach or someone that I knew didn't really care about me were to speak an identity over me, I'd have to block that off. No, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. But when you start to get it from the real source of love, from our Father, God, and from those that he's put in your life who genuinely love you and care for you, you're going to transform like those kids at that soccer camp. I'm worthy of love. I'm, I'm worthy of a calling. I'm worthy to actually be a light, to go feed these, these poor kids in the area, to go bring about justice, to make a difference, to no longer fall into these sins and, and into these old patterns. I'm more than a conqueror through him who's given me his spirit. And if I didn't believe this, if I didn't have this in my life, if I, haven't exper- if I hadn't experienced this for myself, I would have left Korea a long time ago. Korea is not easy. Serving the orphans is not easy. But God's given me a, a vision and given my staff a vision. And 
our vision is, is that when North Korea eventually opens up, and right now it's a closed country, it's controlled, okay, they can't, people can't really get out of it, they don't get any information, there's no smartphones, there's no internet, all they get is one TV channel, it's just propaganda. But when North Korea finally opens up, there are so many orphans in that country. And the vision is, is to go in with my staff and to care for these kids. But more than us taking care of the kids, these kids that you saw in the soccer camp video, the kids in Oak Tree Project, kids that we have loved, we want to go in with and let these kids shine a light and a hope to the kids in North Korea. You see, the children that we've served in the orphanages over these past 12 years or so, they've tasted and seen that we're good, that we're safe, that we love them. So no matter you know, what happens, we're not going to abandon them like their parents did. And even the social workers at the homes, they come and go and they're too busy. They rarely speak those compliments, but they've gotten compliments from us. They've gotten love from us. They know that we're good and that we're trustworthy. And so many of these orphans have told us, young and older, we want to go where you go. We want to be where you are. We feel safe around you. So even if it's North Korea, even if it's some, some crazy place, we, we want to go. And you know, our goal is not that they go just based on our love, but that they will meet the Lord through us. That they'll begin to know that any good in me, any good in me, comes from God. We love because God first loved us. And that's what we've seen in Oak Tree Project. As these kids have gone through the program and started to mature into adults, and they've started to ask, God, reveal yourself to me. And they start to see God in their mentor they start to get a faith of their own. And now these kids are walking with God, strong and mighty. And we believe God's going to raise up an army in South Korea of orphans, of broken, of rejects. The people that God loves the most is going to use the weak to shame the strong, is going to use them to go in and to love these kids in North Korea. And I'll tell you, for the kids in North Korea, because they don't have the smartphones, they don't have the internet, they don't have TV, they don't have materialism, they don't have anything. There's no capitalism in North Korea. It's communism. They're barely surviving. These kids, they haven't been jaded by the world, the temptations and all those things. They're very pure. So when they taste and see that God is good, they're going to drink him in and they're going to want him more than anything else. And these are the kids that are saying, I will die for you, God. I will do anything because this world I've seen is no good. Heaven is what I'm living for. I'm living for you, God. And I believe God is going to use these children in North Korea to turn the world upside down. I know it's a grand vision, but it's something that God has spoken into me and spoken into the staff and spoken into so many different people. We believe it. God is good. Our identity is from him. We can do all things through him. So that's, that's why I live. And, you know, I first went to Korea thinking it was a five-year plan. God's going to do this in five years. We'll be in North Korea and boom, 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 boom. And it's been 12 years, 12 and a half. And what I've learned along the way is that more than the successes, more than defeating the Midianites, more than doing great things, it's about the journey. I think that's why this church has that name, the journey. It's about the journey. It's about the relationship with God. It's just about walking with him. You know, my, my dad is, he's proud of me for, you know, walking with God and, you know, when I study engineering, you know, doing different stuff. But he would rather me in the world site not do that great, but have relationship with him than me do great 
in the world's sight and be so successful but have little relationship with him. You see, what God wants more than anything is relationship with you. You don't have to be a mighty warrior for him to approve you. He's already approved you. He already calls you that. In his eyes, you're who he made you to be. Now you just got to see it for yourself. God saved you for relationship. So don't worry about the, the battles. Don't worry about the mighty visions. Don't worry about all those things. You can pray into it, and we pray into to the visions as well. But, you know, our self-worth is no longer in those things. It could take 40 years. It took Abraham 40 years to have a kid. And that was all he was known for, was having a kid. But in God's sight, that was enough. More than enough. What God wanted with Abraham was just let's walk together. I want you to know my goodness. I want you to taste and see that I am good. And I want you to know who you really are. Who I've truly made you to be. That's what God desires for each and every one of you. So I want to encourage you in closing. Ask God to reveal his goodness to you. Very simple prayer. Takes five seconds. God, reveal your goodness to me. Reveal that you're alive. Reveal that you're real. And as you begin to taste and see that God is good, as you begin to see him, the next prayer I want to encourage you to pray is, God, reveal who I really am. Who did you make me to be? I need your encouragement. God will not deny you. He sent his son to die for you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Two simple prayers I want to encourage you to pray. Let me close in prayer.